part one of antietam national battlefield maryland this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by david wales antietam national battlefield maryland by frederick tilburg part one introduction in western maryland is a stream called antietam creek Nearby is the quiet town of Sharpsburg. The scene is pastoral, with rolling hills and farmlands and patches of woods. Stone monuments and bronze tablets dot the landscape. They seem strangely out of place. Only some extraordinary event can explain their presence. Almost by chance, two great armies collided here. General Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia was invading the North, major general george b mcclellan's army of the potomac was out to stop him on september seventeenth eighteen sixty two the bloodiest day of the civil war the two armies fought the battle of antietam to decide the issue their violent conflict shattered the quiet of maryland's countryside when the hot september sun finally set upon the devastated battlefield twenty-three thousand americans had fallen nearly eight times more than fell at tarawa's beaches in world war two this single fact with the heroism and suffering it implies gives the monuments and markers their meaning no longer do they presume upon the land rather their mute inadequacy can only hint of the great event that happened here and of its even greater consequences across the potomac on september four to seven eighteen sixty two a ragged host of nearly fifty five thousand men in butternut and gray splashed across the potomac river at white's ford near leesburg virginia this was general robert e lee's army of northern virginia embarked on the confederacy's first invasion of the north though thousands of lee's men were shoeless though they lacked ammunition and supplies though they were fatigued from the marching and fighting just before the historic crossing into maryland they felt invincible only a week before august twenty eighth through the thirtieth they had routed the federals at the battle of second manassas driving them headlong into the defences of washington with this event the strategic initiative so long held by union forces in the east had shifted to the confederacy but lee recognized that union power was almost limitless it must be kept off balance prevented from reorganizing for another drive on richmond the confederate capital only a sharp offensive thrust by southern armies would do this because his army lacked the strength to assault washington general lee had decided on september three to invade maryland north of the potomac his army would be a constant threat to washington this would keep federal forces out of virginia allowing that ravaged land to recuperate from the campaigning that had stripped it it would give maryland's people many of whom sympathized with the south a chance to throw off the northern yoke from maryland lee could march into pennsylvania disrupting the east-west rail communications of the north carrying the brunt of war into that rich land drawing on its wealth to refit his army larger political possibilities loomed too the north was war-weary 
if in the heartland of the union lee could inflict a serious defeat on northern arms the confederacy might hope for more than military dividends the result might be a negotiated peace on the basis of southern independence two a successful campaign might induce england and france to recognize the confederacy and to intervene for the purpose of mediating the conflict so it was that the hopes of the south rode with this army of northern virginia as it marched into frederick maryland on september the seventh mcclellan in command on that same september seven another army assembled at rockville maryland just northwest of washington soon to be nearly ninety thousand strong this was major-general george b mcclellan's army of the potomac its goal to stay between lee's army and washington to seek out the confederate force and as president abraham lincoln hoped to destroy it hastily thrown together to meet the challenge of lee's invasion this union army was a conglomerate of all the forces in the washington vicinity some of its men were fresh from the recruiting depots they lacked training and were deficient in arms others had just returned from the peninsular campaign where lee's army had driven them from the gates of richmond in the seven days battle june twenty sixth to july second still others were the remnants of the force so decisively beaten at second manassas in mcclellan the union army had a commander who was skilled at organization this was the reason president lincoln and commander-in-chief of the army henry halleck had chosen him for command on september three in four days he had pulled together this new army and had gotten it on the march it was a remarkable achievement but in other respects mcclellan was the object of doubt he was cautious he seemed to lack the capacity for full and violent commitment essential to victory against lee whose blood roused at the sound of the guns mcclellan's methodical nature had once before proved wanting during the seven days battles at least so thought president lincoln but this time mcclellan had started well could he now catch lee's army and destroy it bringing the end of the war in sight or failing that could he at least gain a favorable decision a victory in the field would give the president a chance to issue the emancipation proclamation which he had been holding since midsummer the proclamation would declare free the slaves in the confederate states by this means lincoln hoped to infuse the northern cause with regenerative moral power spirits were lagging in the north unless a moral purpose could be added to the north's primary war aim of restoring the union lincoln questioned whether the will to fight could be maintained in the face of growing casualty lists and so followed by mingled doubt and hope mcclellan started in pursuit of the confederate army mcclellan himself was aware of these mingled feelings he knew that lincoln and halleck had come to him as a last resort in a time of emergency he knew they doubted his energy and ability as a combat commander even his orders were unclear for they did not explicitly give him authority to pursue the enemy beyond the defences of washington burdened with knowledge of this lack of faith wary of taking risks because of his ambiguous orders mcclellan marched toward his encounter with the victorious and confident lee lee divides his forces maryland was a disappointment to lee 
on september eighth he had issued a dignified proclamation inviting the men of that state to join his command and help restore maryland to her rightful place among the southern states his words concluded with assurance that the marylanders could make their choice with no fear of intimidation from the victorious confederate army in their midst maryland took him at his word her people did not flock to the confederate standard nor were they much help in provisioning his army no doubt lee's barefooted soldiers were a portent to these people who had previously seen only well-fed well-equipped federal troops deprived of expected aid lee had to move onward to pennsylvania quickly for one thing unless he could get shoes for his men his army might melt away straggling was already a serious problem for maryland's hard roads tortured bare feet toughened only to the dirt lanes of virginia by now lee's scouts were bringing reports of the great federal army slowly pushing out from rockville toward frederick lee's proposed route into pennsylvania was dictated by geography west of frederick beyond south mountain is the cumberland valley this is the northern half of the great valley that sweeps northeastward through virginia maryland and pennsylvania that part of the great valley immediately south of the potomac is called the shenandoah valley lee planned to concentrate his army west of the mountains near hagerstown maryland there he would be in direct line with his supply base at winchester in the shenandoah valley after replenishing his supplies and ammunition he could strike northeast through the cumberland valley toward harrisburg pennsylvania where he could destroy the pennsylvania railroad bridge across the susquehanna river once loose in the middle of pennsylvania he could live off the country and threaten philadelphia baltimore and washington before launching this daring maneuver lee must first clear his line of communications through the shenandoah valley to winchester and to richmond blocking it were strong federal garrisons at harper's ferry and martinburg unaccountably they had remained at their posts after the confederate army crossed the potomac now they must be cleared out lee decided to accomplish this mission by boldly dividing his army into four parts on september nine he issued special order one nine one briefly it directed major general james longstreet and major general d h hill to proceed across south mountain toward boonsboro and hagerstown three columns cooperating under major general thomas j stonewall jackson were ordered to converge on harper's ferry from the northwest northeast and east en route the column under jackson's immediate command was to swing westward and catch any federals remaining at martinsburg major-general lafayette mcclaws approaching from the northeast was to occupy maryland heights which overlooks harper's ferry from the north side of the potomac brigadier-general john walker approaching from the east was to occupy loudon heights across the susquehanna river from harper's ferry major-general j e b stewart's cavalry was to screen these movements from mcclellan by remaining east of south mountain at this point a fateful event occurred one which was destined to change the subsequent course of the campaign d h hill jackson's brother-in-law had until this time been under jackson's command unaware that a copy of lee's order had already been sent to hill jackson now prepared an extra copy for that officer 
hill kept the copy from jackson the other was to provide the script for much of the drama that followed lee was courting danger by thus dividing his force in the face of mcclellan's advancing army against a driving opponent lee probably would not have done it but he felt certain that mcclellan's caution would give jackson the margin of time needed to capture harper's ferry and reunite with longstreet before the federal army could come within striking distance that margin was calculated at three or four days by september twelve jackson's force should be marching north toward hagerstown as soon as the army reconcentrated there lee could begin his dash up the cumberland valley into pennsylvania so confident was lee of the marching capacities of the harper's ferry columns and so certain was he that mcclellan would approach slowly that he made no provision for guarding the gaps through south mountain the lost order lee's army departed frederick on september ten two days later leading elements of mcclellan's army entered that city on september thirteen came mcclellan himself with his usual cavalcade of staff officers that same afternoon a copy of lee's special order one nine one was discovered in the encampment grounds previously used by the confederate army quickly it was passed to mcclellan the handwriting was recognized as that of colonel r h chilton lee's assistant adjutant general the document's authenticity could not be doubted the fate of lee's army literally lay in mcclellan's hands if he slashed swiftly through the south mountain gaps and planted his army squarely between longstreet's force near hagerstown and jackson's columns at harper's ferry he could overwhelm the confederate detachments in turn but again mcclellan was methodical not until the next morning september fourteen did his heavy columns get under way this crucial delay was to give lee the chance to pull his army together at the small town of sharpsburg fighting for time at south mountain by september twelve lee had begun to worry stuart's scouts had reported the federal approach to frederick mcclellan was moving too fast next evening things looked worse jackson had not yet captured harper's ferry and already mcclellan's forward troops were pushing stuart back toward the south mountain gaps delay at harper's ferry made these passes through south mountain the key to the situation they must be defended south mountain is the watershed between the middletown and cumberland valleys the frederick hagerstown road leads through middletown then goes over south mountain at turner's gap at the eastern base of the mountain the old road to sharpsburg turned south from the main road and passed through fox's gap a mile south of turner's gap four miles farther south is crampton's gap reached by another road from middletown on the night of september thirteen lee ordered all available forces to defend these three passes d h hill with longstreet coming to his aid covered turner's and fox's gaps mcclaws sent part of his force back from maryland heights to hold crampton's gap next morning the thin stretched confederate defenders saw mcclellan's powerful columns marching across middleton valley up the roads to the gaps they came ponderous and inexorable the right wing of mcclellan's army under major general ambrose burnside assaulted turner's and fox gaps 
the left wing under major general william franklin struck through crampton's gap by nightfall september fourteen the superior federal forces had broken through at crampton's gap and burnside's men were close to victory at the northern passes the way to the valley was open by his stubborn defense of south mountain lee had gained a day but was it enough mcclellan's speed and shrewd pursuit together with jackson's inability to meet the demanding schedule set forth in special order one nine one had fallen upon lee with all the weight of a strategic surprise no longer could he command events pick his own objectives and make the federal army conform to his moves rather the decision at south mountain had snatched the initiative away from lee his plan for an offensive foray into pennsylvania was wrecked now it was a question of saving his army the first step was to call off the attack on harper's ferry at eight p m september fourteen lee sent a dispatch to mcclaws stating the day has gone against us and this army will go by sharpsburg and across the river it is necessary for you to abandon your position to-night send forward officers to explore the way ascertain the best crossing of the potomac and if you can find any between you and shepherdstown leave shepherdstown ford for this command jackson was ordered to take position at shepherdstown to cover lee's crossing into virginia but then came a message from jackson harper's ferry was about to fall perhaps there was still hope if jackson could capture harper's ferry early the next day the army could reunite at sharpsburg good defensive ground was there a victory over mcclellan might enable lee to continue his campaign of maneuver and should disaster threaten the fords of the potomac were near by at eleven fifteen p m lee countermanded his earlier order the attack on harper's ferry was to proceed shortly after longstreet's division began to march through the night toward sharpsburg harper's ferry surrenders the village of harper's ferry lies at the gateway cut through the mountains by the potomac and shenandoah rivers whose waters join there situated at the apex of the triangle of land between the rivers the town is completely dominated by loudon and maryland heights by nightfall of september fourteen mcclaws and walker had artillery on these heights ready for plunging fire into the town jackson had stretched his lines across the base of the triangle between the rivers caught in this trap were nearly twelve thousand federal troops commanded by colonel d s miles their position was indefensible at daybreak on september fifteen the surrounding confederates artillery opened fire at eight a m the hopelessness of his position confirmed miles ordered the surrender he was killed in the last moments of the battle jackson immediately sent word of his victory to lee then after assigning major general a p hill's division to dispose of prisoners and booty he prepared the rest of his troops for the hard march ahead the same dawn that signaled jackson's guns to open fire on harper's ferry revealed longstreet's tired soldiers taking positions on the rolling hills around sharpsburg as he watched them lee still did not know whether to fight or to withdraw across the potomac decision awaited upon word from jackson the word came it was good 
the crisis was past even now lee's messenger hurried to direct jackson's veterans toward sharpsburg confident that the entire army would soon be at hand certain that he could whip mcclellan lee decided to fight lee takes a stand on sharpsburg ridge lee's decision to make his stand on the low ridge extending north and south of sharpsburg might well have led to disaster for the confederate army a large part of his force was still scattered and several miles away backed against the coils of the potomac river with only the ford near shepherdstown offering an avenue of withdrawal a reversal in battle could result in rout and consequent loss of thousands of men and scores of guns longstreet voiced disapproval of battle at sharpsburg jackson hurriedly examining the ground on his arrival from harper's ferry strongly favored lee's choice the village of sharpsburg lies in a small valley at the western base of sharpsburg's ridge from the village the boonesboro pike leads east across the ridge then across antietam creek the hagerstown pike extends northward on the crest of the ridge from the hagerstown pike gently rolling farmland spreads a mile eastward to antietam creek and the same distance westward to the winding potomac river a mile north of sharpsburg was a heavy patch of trees known as west woods it was about three hundred yards wide at its southern limits tapering to two hundred yards or less as it stretched away northwest from the pike half a mile east of hagerstown pike was another patch of trees called east woods it was two hundred yards wide and extended a quarter mile south across the smoketown road north woods a triangular plot of trees stretched east from the hagerstown pike over the poffenberger farm half a mile to the west looms nicodemus hill a prominent landmark near the potomac artillery on its heights would command the open ground lying between the patches of woodland in this open area east of the hagerstown pike lay a forty-acre cornfield west of the pike were outcroppings of rock running nearly parallel to the road ready-made fortifications adjacent to the hagerstown pike on a slight rise near the lower end of west woods stood a dunker church a small white building framed by massive oaks southeast of sharpsburg rolling land broken by deep ravines extends a mile beyond to a sharp bend in antietam creek crossings of swiftly flowing antietam creek were readily available the road extending northwest from keedysville went over the stream at the upper bridge the road to sharpsburg from greensboro over the middle bridge and the road to sharpsburg from pleasant valley over the lower bridge the stream could be crossed also at prize mill ford a half mile south of the upper bridge at snavely's ford nearly a mile south of the lower bridge and at other unnamed fording places with its advantages of woodland and outcroppings of rock ledges lee believed that the ridge north of sharpsburg offered a strong battle position though he had ample time to construct earthworks the confederate commander chose to rely wholly on natural defenses as lee's men approached from boonesboro during the morning hours of september fifteen they turned left and right off the pike to form their lines on sharpsburg ridge brigadier general john hood with only two brigades held the ground at the fringe of the west woods 
from the dunker church northwest to nicodemus hill near the potomac here stuart's cavalry protected the left end or flank of the line from hood's position southward to sharpsburg d h hill placed his five brigades east of and paralleling the hagerstown pike brigadier-general nathan evans brigade occupied the center of the line in front of sharpsburg his men straddled the boonsboro pike the six brigades of major-general d r jones extended the confederate front southeast nearly a mile to the lower bridge over antietam creek the fords over the antietam at the extreme right of the line were guarded by colonel thomas mumford's cavalry brigade artillery was placed at advantage points on the ridges throughout the fifteenth lee presented a show of strength with fourteen brigades of infantry and three of cavalry about eighteen thousand men mcclellan concentrates at the antietam against this pretense of power general mcclellan marched cautiously on the forenoon of the fifteenth over good roads and in fine weather by noon he arrived at the confederate front with a force of nearly seventy five thousand men mcclellan hesitated and the day wore away as the early morning fog of the sixteenth cleared lee's artillerists caught sight of federal guns on the high bank beyond antietam creek the thunder of a prolonged duel between lee's guns and brigadier-general henry hunt's powerful federal batteries soon rolled through the hills there was no question in mcclellan's mind now that lee intended to hold sharpsburg ridge in mid-afternoon of the sixteenth mcclellan prepared for battle major-general joseph hooker's i corps was instructed to take position opposite the confederate left on the hagerstown pike major-general joseph mansfield's twelfth corps and major-general edwin summers second corps were to extend the battle line from hooker's left to the smoketown road and on to antietam creek near prize mill ford the fifth corps major-general fitz jones porter commanding was directed to occupy the centre of the federal line on the boonsboro pike burnside was to place his ninth corps just east of the lower bridge over antietam creek major-general william franklin's sixth corps was to support the entire front in the centre on the high east bank of antietam creek and south of the boonsboro pike general hunt placed four batteries of twenty-pounder parrot rifles the most powerful cannon on the field mcclellan's plan called for an initial attack on the confederate left flank on the hagerstown pike with the two corps of hooker and mansfield mcclellan intended to support this mass charge with sumner's entire force and if necessary with franklin's corps if the powerful thrust against the confederate left should succeed mcclellan would send burnside's corps across antietam creek at the lower bridge and strike the confederate right flank on the ridge southeast of sharpsburg should burnside succeed in turning the southern end of lee's line he would be expected to carry the attack northwest toward sharpsburg finally if either of these flanking movements appeared successful mcclellan would drive up the boonsboro pike with all available forces to smash the confederate center it was a good plan if the federal attacks could be delivered in concert mcclellan's preponderance of power must stretch lee's smaller force to the breaking point but the story of antietam is one of piecemeal federal attacks 
a corps here a division there this failure in execution allowed lee to shift troops from momentarily quiet sectors to plug the gaps torn by the succession of federal attacks as each threat developed lee rushed his troops there and beat it back taking advantage of his interior lines he repeatedly achieved a local advantage of numbers though larger federal contingents were always nearby end of part one